Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. So uh, this item uh, that I have here this morning is where the problem actually started. Uh, If you are not familiar with this item, this item goes by several different names. Uh, Some people call it uh, a wishing lamp. Some people actually call it a floating light. Other people actually call it the flying sky lantern. Okay, And I like to call this item the death trap. Okay, Because I had a great idea when I first started ministry long ago. I had an idea that we were going to go out on a retreat. And on said retreat, we were going to have this moment at the end of the retreat where we were going to take these sky lanterns and people would light the sky lantern and then they would slowly fill and then you would just release it into the sky. And it was going to be the most beautiful scene you had ever seen in your life, okay? I even got you a picture this morning of what we visualized these sky lanterns were going to be. So I tell the person who's leading worship, this is the game plan. This is what this is going to look like. He's like, sounds great. I've got a song for this moment. I'm like, great, great, great. And it goes off beautifully planned. We like these bad boys. It is a tender moment. People are crying. People are loving it. We're releasing these lamps into the air, and it's just chef's kiss. About midway, as all these lanterns are rising to the sky, I quickly realize I've not made a game plan of where these lanterns go. I am out in the middle of nowhere in creation, and I've just released fire everywhere. As people are singing and crying, I watch as one lantern slowly catches the wind and slowly goes to this field, lands on the field, and catches the field on fire. I still remember we were singing. We were singing the words, light a fire deep down in my soul that I can't contain and I can't control. And I remember as that lamp hit the ground, I'm praying to the Lord, Lord, don't light a fire on that field that we can't contain, that we can't control. I need less of you, Lord. And someone realizes we've caught this field on fire, yells fire, and we all disperse to go take care of the field that is on fire. People were running and crying because it wasn't a spiritual experience. It was a terrifying experience. We spent the rest of the evening putting out that fire. And for the rest of that retreat, the puns were endless towards me. Do you feel like this retreat is lit? Do you have a burning question, Zane? How stoked are you about this? You seem to really catch fire about these things. And honestly, I felt embarrassed for sure. But what I felt even worse about 
was that I damaged some of the property that was there out at that retreat. In other words, I was not only embarrassed, but I was actually felt shame. You ever had a moment in life where you just want to go crawl in a hole and not see any other people? You ever had a moment where you made a financial decision and you look back on it and you're like, that was the wrong financial decision. Have you ever been in a conversation and you said something to someone that you're like, I should have never said that phrase to someone? Have you ever done something that you just feel terrible inside, not just with what you did, but how you actually see yourself? Have you burned someone? Have you felt burned by a situation that you made a small action and then everything just caught fire and went terribly wrong? The beginning story in Genesis is one where creation catches fire. One small decision releases flames that burn up God's original design. So the beginning of the Bible begins with the story of Genesis, of this creator God who has design and intention for how he wants creation to look and how he wants humanity to look. And just like he's coaching a kindergartner, he says, you can eat from any tree, just don't touch this one tree. Don't touch. Don't touch. I have a vision for the way I want the world to look. I want you to enjoy that vision. And Eve, humanity, envisions something different than God. She perceives this is a good idea. She takes and she eats. And this is where the Bible gives us all sorts of imagery when it comes to the concept and idea of sin. Usually when we hear the word sin, our first immediate reaction is sin equals bad. Bad by whose terms? When the Bible talks about sin, it is this dynamic force, power, action that is happening in the world. In just a couple of the verses that you just read, you see that all this imagery, sin is refusal to listen or trust God. Sin is defining good on humanity's terms instead of divinity's terms. Sin is failure to love God. Sin is inactivity. Is Adam just passively watching as something wrong happens? Sin is also a power, a voice that is working against God's will and design in the world. And this voice is an enemy. In the Bible, in the first three chapters, lets you know when humanity does any of these things, creation catches fire. And it is in this moment that sin enters the world 
And it doesn't take long for shame to follow. When sin enters our world, shame can follow. Maybe to put it in different terms for you, shame takes. Shame takes away from what God has designed for you to experience. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I'd actually encourage you to turn to this passage or tap to this passage. You see what I did there? See what I did there? You can go to Genesis 3. It's at the very beginning of the Bible. Uh, if you are new to the Bible, I'm going to have some of the words that are on the screen. But I just want to unpack for us, biblically for a second, of what shame takes from us. When you feel unsettled about yourself because of what you have done or what you have not done, shame is creeping at the door to take from you. Three different ways that Scripture points to us how shame takes from us. The first is um, shame takes control of us. When Adam and Eve refuse to trust God, they can no longer unsee what they have seen. And in Genesis 3, 7, it literally describes, so when uh, she saw that the tree was good and that it brought delight to her eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate and she gave some to her husband, which you're like, Adam, what's going on here? You just watching this, bro? Then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked. So here's the response. They sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. We watch humanity go from a place of freedom to a place of frantic anxiety. Eve's like, we got to cover ourselves as fast as we can. And that's the thing about shame. Shame thinks it's correcting, but it's actually just covering. Shame thinks it's correcting, but it's actually just covering. When shame enters our lives, it can be a tool for us to feel like we have control. Like if you were growing up, you may have experienced your mother or your father using shame to motivate you. And it was a strong motivator, right? I sit at the table. I don't eat all the carrots. She's like, man, you know, there, there are children in Africa that they are starving. They would love those carrots. And you're rejecting those carrots. Shame is powerful. It's a way to take control. But covering up the immediate does still bring hurt in the long run. Maybe one parallel to think of it is uh, uh, I kind of think of the uh, Elizabeth caller as like an example of like shame. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like some, some of you know what the Elizabeth caller is. Uh, it is uh, the cone of shame. Okay. We use it for like our pets. When a pet has a surgery, you put on the cone of shame, and then you're, you're protecting them. There was this, uh, there was this one uh, school of science, Sydney Veterinarian School of Science, who, I'm out of my range, okay, but I'm, I'm going to make the attempt. Um, they actually said that, like, yes, to put the cone of shame on our pets is helpful in one sense, but hurtful in another. They actually collected data, and they were like, it may help with the immediate. 
but it also brings hurt or makes things difficult for an animal in the long run. Sleeping, eating, drinking, other injuries caused by pet owners try to make the cone of shame the best that they can. Here's a couple examples of people trying to make the cone of shame the best that they can. I would run if I was this dog. The snow cone of shame. This, this picture just depresses me, to be honest. Yeah. You try to make the best of the cone of shame. It may help in one way, but it hurts in another. If you've ever seen the Disney Pixar uh, movie Up, there's that famous line by the dog, Doug. He says, I... Ooh, we we got we to gotta learn our Disney movies a little bit more. Mm. Mm, I'm glad we're dwelling in the Bible, but we've got some other things to do here. Doug literally says, second service will back me here. Doug literally says, I do not like the cone of shame. I do not like it. You do not like the cone of shame. But you do choose the cone of shame. Sometimes Christians, the way they want to operate, is they use shame as the motivator for healing or changing. And shame may make you not want to do something, but it doesn't truly lead to transformation with God. Shame is not God's invention. It's ours. People who have read Scripture in the beginning of Genesis have said over and over again that Adam and Eve sewing the fig leaves together is humanity's first invention. And isn't it fascinating that humanity's first invention is an invention of covering things up? We think shame gives us control, but it actually just controls us. It trains us to be fake. We think it helps, but it hurts. Here's the second. Shame takes away connection. I want you to notice in Genesis 3, 7, there is this dynamic that switches for Adam and Eve. Genesis literally describes in chapter 2, right before this, it says that Adam and Eve were naked and they were not ashamed. I think of like my like first experience in a middle school boy locker room. That is like naked and not ashamed. I remember I walked in, I was mortified. I was like, put some clothes on. What are we doing in here? Why are y'all acting this way? Scripture begins this way of saying that humanity with one another was naked and felt no shame. And when sin enters the world, it changes the social and emotional external dynamic between humans. That's what shame does to us. But shame also in Scripture says something doesn't just happen between person to person, but also person and God. If you notice in verse 8, it literally describes, so they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at that time of the evening, and the man and his wife hid their entire selves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. You find shame not only externally does something to human beings, but there is an internal, what thinkers of God would say, an ontological distance between humans and God. What I'm trying to say is this. Shame 
makes you question your very existence and presence and worth in front of God. It makes you think God is better off without me. God doesn't desire to be in my presence. And God's just taking a walk. He's just walking through things. Here's the third thing that shame takes from us. Shame takes perspective. If you have your Bible open with you, it is so, so uh, ironic to just look at, like for most of us, the way that our pages are laid out in the Bible is Adam is literally on a different page on the left side than he is on the right side of when it comes to how he views Eve. When God creates Eve, uh, if you go with me to chapter 2, verse 23, uh, Adam literally says, Whoa! The man said, This is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she will be taken out of man. And that man would leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and they would become one flesh. Let me give you a translation of that. Adam is saying, Whoa! She's awesome! Bone means strength. Flesh means weakness. When I'm strong, or when I'm weak, she'll be strong. When she is weak, I will be strong for her. This is a great match together. And then you find Adam literally in, I think it's actually in verse 12. In verse 12 of chapter 3, when God says, what have you done? He literally says, this woman who you gave to me, to be with me, she gave me the fruit. And I ate it. Literally, in a chapter 4, Adam's like, this is great. We're going great together. And the next one, he's like, this is your fault. You gave me her. I didn't want to do this. She just forced me into it. In the second chapter of Genesis, Adam is exclaiming the goodness of God. In chapter 3, he's explaining why God's goodness is no good. When shame enters your world, you lose perspective of what God has given to you. You know, it's really interesting that Genesis describes God as like he is walking through the garden with the breeze of it. A lot of people through the centuries have read that scripture and they've been like, hmm, what, what does that mean about like, is God like have some like human characteristics? Some people have like tried to read into that and be like, is God um, limited because he asked them where they are? Does, does God limit his sort of power? And I, I actually like the interpretation of one scholar who just read this passage and goes, we try to read so much into this. The very clear thing that's evident in this story is that God's not complicated to be seen. Like, it's not something where, like, we're like, it's trying to describe a characteristic of God of, like, God has feet. It's God trying to describe that God isn't complicated in being approached and heard and seen. It's humanity that complicates being with God. It's shame that complicates our world. And when we find ourselves in a place of shame, once again, we find ourselves in the state of being that we've talked about in this series, which is us having a really bad case of the man. Shame demotivates us, depresses us, makes us despondent, makes us dry towards God. 
And the most helpful thing for people who feel like they are in a place where they have a decrease of willpower and way power for engaging life with God is we need to hear again the good news of God from the beginning of the pages of Scripture all the way to the ending pages of Scripture. That shame may take from you, but God gives. Shame takes, God gives. You know, it's the very first thing that God does when He responds to humanity. He was not like your mother or father or your guardians growing up. How could you do such a thing? I am extremely disappointed in you. God first gives humanity questions. He doesn't give them a lecture. He just asks questions. Where are you? Who told you? What did you do in this moment? God asks questions because God desires union with humanity. God does not walk out or walk away from humanity. God actually has to walk towards humanity in their shame. God actually asks the question of where are you? This is the beginning of God's grace to ask us where are we and what are we entangled in? And maybe one of the biggest things for a lot of us to hear prayerfully in our lives is that when we tell God where we are, we are not letting God down. We are letting God in. When we tell God what we did and we are ashamed, we are not letting Him down, we are letting Him in. When we tell God what we haven't done or what we haven't been doing, we're not letting Him down, we're letting Him in. When we tell Him what we think of ourselves or other people and we're ashamed of it, we're not letting Him down, we're letting Him in. And you want to let God in to the deep parts of your being because He wants to ask you those questions. It's where His grace starts. There's an essayist by the... Uh, name of uh, Joseph Epistine, who wrote this piece that Christians have reflected on and been like, that, that, that's what we're talking about. Here's the quote. We all exist on at least three levels. There is the person, as he or she appears in public, how you're acting right now in front of other people. There is a person, as he or she is known to intimates, which includes family and dear friends. These are the people who know you extremely close. But then there's that person, the deepest of all, who is only known to him or herself, where all the aspirations, resentments, fantasies, desires, and much else is not ready for public knowledge that resides. You have parts of yourself that are public. You have parts of yourself that are private. And then you have parts of yourself that are deeply personal to you. God's grace wants to get in the deeply personal side of things that you do not share with other people, where you sense and feel shame in your life. Uh, so a couple years ago, I was, uh, I, I was in a deep place of shame. Um, I, uh, I had a moment 
where uh, at my previous job, I, uh, I just lost my cool. I don't usually lose my cool, uh, but I lost my cool. Like if you've ever seen like a kindergartner that's been out in the hot sun all day, it's hot, sweaty, and you tell him there are no more Capri Suns in the fridge and he has a meltdown. That was this meltdown. I remember I pointed fingers at people. I remember I raised my voice and I embarrassed myself in front of people twice my age. And there was something deeply disturbing that happened when I felt shame about that moment. I did not get more humble. I actually got more critical after that moment. I started walking around because of how deep of shame I was going through. I started walking around and I started nitpicking everyone's life. People would bring up someone's name and I'd just roll my eyes. Ah, you already know about him or her. People would do things and I'd be like, mm, they could have done better with that. Staff members would have missed something and I would have been like, Psh, they need to get their life together. And finally, I had a boss that pulled me into his office and said, hey, what is your problem? Why are you acting like this is not what resurrected life looks like just walking around critiquing everyone judging everyone and i remember i just outbursted to him i was like well if they're going to be as critical about me i'm going to be critical about them and i remember my boss just looked me in the eyes and he's like who's being critical of you who's saying that give me their names i don't have a name for you okay then the only voice who is being that judgmental and critical is you. God is not being judgmental or critical of you. Other staff members have already forgiven you for what you've done. The only voice you're listening to right now is some type of voice that is inside yourself. And that's when it clicked for me. That if we don't deal with shame, we will become critical and judgmental people because we're trying to cope and lick our wounds instead of letting God actually heal them. We even identify stories in the Bible this way. We don't even use her name in Scripture. We just say the woman who was caught in adultery. We name her by her shame. We don't say the son who found his way back home. We say he was the prodigal son. We don't say he was Zacchaeus who gave away massive amounts of wealth. We say he was Zacchaeus. He was the tax collector. He wasn't the disciple that ended up giving his life by death. He is doubting Thomas. We identify people by their shame. And God doesn't play that game. He doesn't play by the rules of shame. This God offers a different voice than the voice that is inside our heads or the voice of the enemy. He gives us a different story to be able to listen to. The Bible literally begins with a story in the garden with a woman who makes a decision that brings shame into the world. But the Bible isn't just a collection of stories that are just fun stories to just tell. It's all these small stories telling a bigger story that leads to the story of Jesus. 
who literally on the third day in a garden makes it not the place of shame, but makes it the place of resurrection. And in that place of resurrection, it is a woman who not brings a lie into the world, but declares truth into the world, all because of a man who made a decision to wear and embrace shame and not use it instead. In other words, Jesus is the great reversal of the story of shame. He lives in such a way that he has nothing to hide. He doesn't say, I want my will to be done, but he says to the Father, I want your will to be done. And then religious people, good, strong, well-read religious people, drag Jesus to the cross, nail him to the cross, strip him of his clothes. There's usually a cloth on him, but historically, that wouldn't be true. He would be naked on the cross, and he bears shame that was not his in the first place. Adam hides behind a tree, but Jesus hangs on a tree. It is the great reversal of the story of shame. In essence, what I'm trying to say is that Jesus in his power can reverse you of that shame. Hebrews 12.2 literally says, looking at Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and took on the shame that was taken and he went to the right seat of the Father. Why can Jesus take on shame? Because Jesus knew the joy of union on the other side. He knew the joy of freedom on the other side. And I think some of us need to hear this because we just grew up with a different idea. God's goal is to not make you feel bad in the world. God's goal is to actually help bring freedom into your life. The good news is that God is reversing our shame. You may not be able to rewrite your past but you can reflect on your future differently. You may not be able to rewrite what you've done in the past, but you can be released of the shame that you feel about the past. You may not be able to shut down the voices that are inside you, but you can listen to a greater voice. Because God wants you to have freedom. And His voice brings freedom. So my, uh, my parents have been married for 34 years. And uh, it's been a deep blessing uh, in my life. And they tell this story of uh, when the, they were dating. Uh, they got married when they were older. And uh, so they did a decent amount of dating uh, at a distance. And uh, they dated during a time, none of you are going to remember this, uh, of course, but uh, uh, they dated during a time where there were these things called landlines is where the phone was like, a like it was hooked to a wall. Okay, that's dangerous, okay? There were landlines and people, people calling at long distance, it would cost a lot of money. And my dad was so cheap that he was like, hey, I love you, but like also we gotta save some cash here. So what they would do is anytime one of them would go visit each other for the weekend and they would drive back home, when they finally got home, one of them would call the other but they would call and they would only let the phone ring once and then they would hang up. 
And it was understood that when you heard the ring once and then there was a hang up, it was their way of saying to each other, I'm here. I remember you. And I love you. Every time you see Jesus hang on the cross, it is the ring of the gospel reminding you, saying, I'm here, I remember you, and I love you. You don't have to reach for shame. There is something more powerful. The ringing gospel of what God has done for you. The temptation of the tempter is to say, take and eat. Basically, take on shame and figure it out of how to manage and control your life. The invitation of God is not take and eat. The invitation of God is taste and see. Are you tasting goodness and freedom in your life? Have you tasted and seen the forgiveness of God in your life? If not, where are you? Who told you? And do you know that someone, Jesus, has done something for you? You have to control what other people think about your name. You can trust in the name of Jesus and what he's done for you. So God, we, uh, we need you to reveal to us in the deepest places where we, we feel shame. Spirit, can you help awaken in us the freedom that you want for us, your resurrection power working in us? God, as we have moments this week where we remember things in the past that we wish we had done differently, when we had moments that we just, we just feel like we not, not only just did something wrong, but we just feel wrong in our entire beings, Lord, can you prompt us and remind us of your love? Can you free us of shame? We're going to rely on your name, Lord. We pray this in your son's name who gives it to us. Jesus, amen.